this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so it's a real joy to uh, to have Adam and Lorna Bradley with us this morning and their children, Caris, Sophia and Zoe. I got that right, didn't I? Yes, good, I've been practising. Uh, Adam leads the team at Life Church in Peterborough. Uh, this New Frontiers Church, they work with uh, one of the other New Frontiers apostolic teams called Relational Mission. And uh, I've known Adam for quite a number of years and uh, just been spending time together once again more recently and uh, so enjoying spending time with them as a family as well and uh, it's just great to have them amongst us today. So let's welcome Adam as he comes to bring God's word to us. Hello everyone. Whoever was using this music stand was obviously keeping up their energy. Chocolates. It's, it's really great to be with you uh, today. Let me tell you a little secret. Um, I've known Graham probably for five or six years. And uh, whenever we meet, we meet in Leicester, because it's kind of halfway between Peterborough and Derby. And we have a very simple arrangement for where we meet. We meet in the Apple store. And then we go from there to a coffee shop and spend some time together. And uh, we have been so looking forward to, as a family, coming to be with you today. Uh, as Graham says, we're from Peterborough. We're from the flatlands where there are no hills whatsoever. And it's great to be here in Derby with you today. We had a little walk around in this building because... This building, you can actually do some 360 walks around. So we were showing the girls this building, and uh, we're very excited to be with you today. And I just want to say, we love Life Church, but we also love visiting other churches. And this is the reason why. The church is God's plan A. The church is God's plan A. And the reality is... Jubilee Church Derby is part of God's plan for Derby, that the people of Derby would know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, that Jesus has come and brings hope to people. And so it's great coming and visiting you, seeing your faces. You're on a great mission here in Derby. And to be able to pop in and see what God is doing here is just fantastic. So thanks for inviting me. Uh, Let's pray together and then I want us to continue the series that you're working your way through in 1 Corinthians. How does that sound? Sound good? Great, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're the Lord of life. Thank you, Lord, that we're not here celebrating some old historic figure. This is not the historian society of Derby. We're people of life. And we thank you, Lord, that you have come that men and women here in Derby might have life. And life life in all its fullness. And so this morning, Lord, we pray, as, as Graham was saying, Lord, reorientate our hearts, Lord, that we might know where true north is, that we might live as people constantly connected to the source of life, which is you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me? We're continuing in 1 Corinthians, 
And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through to 31 of chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. I think there should be an open brackets that says, Hallelujah, close brackets. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the wisdom of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you who are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The sign was a welcome relief at the end of a long and tiring journey. And one that on a number of occasions Hannah thought she would never see. But now there, just a few yards in front of her, was the sign. Wisdomville. Underneath, in smaller font, was written, the town that you'll never want to leave. The next sign that caught her eyes was a large banner on the wall of what looked like a newly built community centre. The sign read, the pep talk talk people. Sorry, the pep talk people. Slowing her car, she wound her window down and listened as a guy who wore a sharp suit and a cheap spray-on tan was pumping out one after another motivational one-liners. It felt like a cross between, you know, those terrible team-building retreats that we all have to go to and a bad episode of Oprah. Is this really what Wisdomville is all about? Is this the place that I'd never want to leave? She wound her window back up and continued her journey. 
Not far down the road, she came across another sign which made her pull over and wind her window down. This was an antique sign with gold embossed letters on it. It read, The Really Deep Church. She'd never really been a religious person, but decided to take a quick peek through one of the open windows. Inside was a small group of people all sat around with what looked like the same Bibles open as a wiry middle-aged man was explaining in great detail the significance of some recent archaeological find to the ongoing discussions over pre-millennialism, whatever that might be. Hannah wasn't against study. In fact, she'd given herself to her own studies so that she might achieve a master's degree and become the first person from her family to go to university. However, was this what she'd been looking for? Was this the embodiment of wisdom? She decided to get back in her car and see if there was anything else. Right in the centre of town was another sign. This one was stuck to the outside of an oh-so-hip cafe. The sign read, The Wisdomville Conversation. A book club of discovery. This looks more like it, thought Hannah to herself, as she jumps out of her car and she goes and finds a table so she can eavesdrop on the conversation. After 15 minutes... Hannah was slightly baffled. It felt to her, although she had to admit that she'd not read the book, that what she was listening to and what she was hearing was really a discussion that was a collision of subjective ideas and opinions and feelings. And that's not what she was looking for. She was looking for something slightly more robust, something slightly more concrete. Getting back into her car, she almost turned round and started back on what would have been an even longer journey home, but something kept her going. She thought to herself, I wonder what I might find if I keep driving. Now, half a mile down the road, she saw another sign, and this sign was on the side of a huge factory, and the sign was huge, and she didn't need to wind her windows down to know what was going on in here, because here was the church of the Charismaniacs. Too scared to wind her windows down, too scared to get out of her car, she even double-checked that all of the doors were locked. She sat and listened as she heard the person shouting, or was it preaching, coming up with revelation after revelation after revelation, which may have been good for the people in the factory, but for her life, it seemed to make no sense whatsoever. She decided to keep going. The problem was, she'd reached the edge of Wisdomville. She'd taken all of this time to drive to this town that had promised it would be the place that she'd never want to leave. And now she's reached the outer edge of the town and then suddenly something caught her eye. Outside the town limits and with no sign to advertise it, no building, no freshly brewed coffee, no pumping music, no secret rituals, stood a simple but brutal cross. It stood all alone. 
outside Wisdomville. But for the first time that day, she felt a compulsion to firstly get closer and then strangely that this simple, dreadful image of a cross might be the place that she'd been looking for. And then suddenly in the deep currents of her heart, she felt herself saying that maybe here at the foot of this cross was the place where she wanted to stay. Why have I just spent the last few minutes telling you a story about a place called Wisdomville? Well, the reason is, I think this passage of scripture that we've just looked at could so easily feel disconnected from us, couldn't it? You and I live in the 21st century, and this was written over 2,000 years ago to people, well, you know, their life's so different. And yet I want to suggest to you the issues that Paul was trying to address to the people in Corinth, to the church in Corinth, are actually very relevant to us today. The issues that he's trying to lead them to see that there's actually dangers lurking and they need to be careful of these dangers are actually dangers for you and I today and for those of you that live in Derby, for you who live in Derby. You see, C.J. Mahaney, who's the founder of Sovereign Grace, the Sovereign Grace family of churches, he said this, the most important truth is the easiest to forget. Let me say that again. The most important truth is the easiest to forget. And I want to suggest to you that the truth that the Apostle Paul is trying to drive into the hearts of the people in Corinth is the most important truth. And it's one of the truths that's so easy to slip from. It's like you just become familiar with it. And then you neglect it. And before you know, it's slid off to the side and it's not even relevant to who we are. And the Apostle Paul is wanting to bring the church back to understand that there are massive priorities here that they need to grab hold of. And so really, what I'd love to do today is to give you four big ideas from this passage. And they're all wrapped up in the idea that we as Christians have been called to live a paradoxical life. How does that sound? Sound okay? Good. You're allowed to join in. Okay, we're on a journey together. So the first point is this, that we've been given a paradoxical message. Look what the Apostle Paul says. He says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What is a paradox? Why don't you turn to the person next to them and look very serious and say, what is a paradox? At Life Church, at this point, there would have been chaos. Okay, so you guys are amazing. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement which when you prod it and when you push it, you suddenly realise it's true. That's what a paradox is. And Paul is showing the church in Corinth that a shame-filled, degrading and brutal cross is always and always will be the centre of human history. I mean, that's just paradoxical, isn't it? We don't like to talk about the cross. We don't like to talk about shame. We don't like to talk about death. But the Apostle Paul is saying for all of time and all of history, this one shameful idea of the cross is the center of human history. 
I think that's paradoxical. The Apostle Paul is showing the church in Corinth that there is one dividing line in all of humanity that matters. I mean, look around. We live in a fractured society, don't we? We live in a fractured society based upon social class, based upon ethnicity, based upon your politics. And the Apostle Paul is saying none of these things really matter. The one dividing line that really matters is the dividing line of the cross. Because he says... There are those that will be perishing and there are those that are being saved and the dividing line between the two is what? The cross. So friends, understanding the cross, understanding the central place of the cross is absolutely vital for us if we're going to fulfill our mission as the church here in Derby. Now I want to suggest to you that getting really clear on this is essential. Wouldn't you agree? Getting really clear and really sharp on this is essential. And this is what I mean by essential. I want you to imagine, okay, that rather than going over the summer holiday, uh, you're going to devoted. Rather than that, Graham and Sarah said, we're going to take you on an expedition. Now, this expedition is not going to have camping. It's not going to have caravans. All you can take for this expedition is one rucksack. (laughs) One rucksack, just like that. Okay, and we're going for a whole week on this expedition. Suddenly, the essential things are going to become clear to you, aren't they? The things that you cram into that rucksack, you would describe as essential. The things that you think, oh, but I want to take my hair straighteners, but they're not going to fit. They might be important, but they're not essential. I want to suggest to you that today we are looking at the thing that needs to be first into your spiritual rucksack. God has called you to be people on mission. We might not be going over mountains, but you've been called to mission here in Derby. And the most important thing that needs to be in your spiritual rucksack is what we're looking at today. And that is the message of the cross. So I want to encourage you to think about the message of the cross. But think about its paradoxical message. Think about its paradoxical nature. As I said, you push it and you think this cannot be true. And as you keep pushing it, you suddenly find this message is true. The Apostle Paul is saying this. The place that was designed to forcefully take away the life of its victim is in fact God's place to give life to the undeserving and the guilty. Now that's paradoxical, isn't it? Notice also that it's the place of brutal death has now become the place of certain life. The place of abject weakness has become the place of unending power. The place of forceful captivity and restraint has become the place of glorious liberation and salvation. The cross is a paradoxical message, but it is the most essential message in all of humanity. I want to ask you a question. Is that the first thing that you put into your spiritual rucksack? You see, we live in a fad-filled world. We live in a Christian fad-filled world. And is this the first thing that goes in your spiritual rucksack? Because I want to suggest to you that the people of Derby need to hear this. 
I want to suggest to you, it's this message that is the one defining line that they need to hear. It is this message that will bring people to eternal walking with God. It's this message, even though it's paradoxical. The second thing is this. Notice the paradoxical method that the Apostle Paul used. Verse 21, B. God was pleased. I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. How many times in Scripture do you hear the word, God was pleased? Actually, there's very few times in Scripture when that's, those words are put together, and so it should catch our attention. And notice what pleased God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. In our generation, I want to suggest to you that preaching is often diminished. And it's an old, out of, kind of, you know, it's a Victorian thing. No one listens to preaching anymore, do they? We want conversation. We want interaction. And none of those things are wrong. And Lorna and I are even leading a book club this year. But God loves to use the preached message of the gospel to change lives. And this is why I think he loves to use it. It's so foolish. Isn't it? I'm stood here in a cinema and I'm believing God that eternal destinies are going to change through what I say. I mean, either I'm rather arrogant or there's something about this message that is not dependent upon me. There's a paradoxical nature to it. That the life doesn't come from me. The life doesn't come from the communicator. The life comes from without the communicator and flows through us. I think that's why God loves to use preaching. I want to suggest to you, God doesn't just love preaching when it's on a stage here at the cinema, at the quad in Derby. But God loves to use your mouth as well. When you're at work. When you're with your family. When you're with your neighbours, when you're at the sports club and people are asking you about your life, God loves to use those moments to declare the message of the cross. This is what happened last summer. Lorna and I are members of a running club in Peterborough. And um, last summer, after the Paris bombings, I was running, I run with a group of engineers, they're all from Perkins, uh, the big engineering company in, in Peterborough. And this is how the conversation went. So how's your week been? First question I'm asked. So Adam, on Sunday, what did you say about the Paris bombings? First question asked. So we're not even into our run and we're getting down to the message of the cross. And so I'm able, over the length of our run, to explain to them about how I communicated with the church, how we as a church prayed about the Paris bombings and how we view suffering in this world all through the lens of the cross. So I want to suggest to you, if God can use a sweaty, out-of-breath man running, he can use you in your workplace. What do you think? You see, God loves to use this paradoxical method of our mouths. And the whole thing is this. It should feel weak to us. We should feel feeble. Because it's not about us. It's the message that we're communicating that actually changes lives. And one of the dangers that the church in Corinth was facing was they were looking at this message thinking, well, that's just ridiculous. And they started to turn to look to other things as more significant. 
And the Apostle Paul here paints two faces. The first is this. They started to look at signs. They started to look at manifestations as if somehow this was more important than the paradoxical, shameful, foolish message of the cross. And the second face was they started to look to intellect and they started to look to the wisdom of this world as if somehow that was what was saving people. And I just want to dive down into this a little bit because I think these two faces are actually dangerous for us in our generation. Wouldn't you agree? So what about signs? The first thing to say here is the Apostle Paul is not hammering supernatural spiritual gifts, okay? If you stick with this series and you get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, the Apostle Paul loves spiritual gifts, okay? So he's not hammering spiritual gifts. And if you think about the life of Jesus, Jesus' life was rather supernatural, wasn't it? I mean, if we were to go through the New Testament Gospels and edit out supernatural spiritual activity, the Gospels would shrink. They would almost become tweets. Because actually so much of his life was the supernatural activity of God on display. But it's interesting, whenever anybody came to Jesus and asked for a sign, he was not a happy guy. Let me give you an example. Matthew 12, the religious leaders basically come to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, if you really think you are the Messiah, give us a sign. Show us. And how does Jesus respond? He responds like this. An evil and adulterous generation. Now, let me just put in a little pause here. If you're about making friends and influencing people, that's not the way to start, is it? He says... You evil and adulterous generation, crave for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. Now, here's a question. What is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is the message of the cross. Why? Because Jonah went down into the belly of the fish, and then three days later, he was Uh, well, vomited back out again. What is the message of the cross? That Jesus died and then three days again the grave could not hold him and he rose again. Jesus is basically saying, focus on the cross. Focus on the cross. When you crave signs, focus your eyes on the cross. I want to suggest to you that signs and wonders will never shortcut or circumnavigate the central and yet paradoxical message of the cross. There will never be a time when we can say, well, if only we had so much supernatural activity, suddenly all of our issues will be resolved. No, the cross will always be central. The shameful, slightly paradoxical message of the cross will always be center stage. What about worldly wisdom? Again, Let's not make this something that the Apostle Paul is not saying. He's not having an anti-intellectual rant. He's not stood outside Derby University with placards saying, that's not what he's doing. Okay? He's not saying, just have poor and sloppy interpretation of Scripture. He's not saying it doesn't matter if you prepare or don't prepare That's not the issue. That's not what he's saying at all. What the Apostle Paul is doing is he's addressing the issue 
where actually the shape and the form of what was being said was more important than the content. And when I was at university, I've got a slightly cheeky edge, okay? A slightly uh, rebellious edge. I grew up in Sheffield. It's a good labor heartland, non-conformist. And there's something in me that when I see boundaries, I want to push them as far as I can. And so when I was at university, I realized, and quite shockingly realized, that I could write absolute rubbish and still get a great result. As long as I source all of my material from external sources. So I wrote one of my essays with complete rubbish. I remember trying to find the most offensive quotes that I could for this particular assignment, just so I could be cheeky and give the lecturer something to smile at. And I got a great result. In my mind, I'm thinking, that's kind of the danger, that the content doesn't matter anymore, as long as it's well-sourced, as long as it's shiny. As long as it you know, tickles where people are itching, then that's all that matters. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that's, no, that's dangerous. Because actually the message matters. The content matters. What is the content? It's the cross of Christ. As soon as that gets slid off and it's just about the packaging, we've lost it. It's the message of the cross that matters. Like I said, this is not an anti-intellectual rant I love reading books I read lots of books and I love reasoned arguments for our faith but our faith must never be in our reasoning our faith must be in the message of the cross because that's where the power is so Before we move on, let me ask you a simple question. Have you been reaching for anything other than the simple message of the cross? Is your confidence resting on anything other than the message of the cross? Are you thinking to yourself, if only we could have A or B or C, then suddenly our world is going to get sorted or actually... Are you somebody who's saying, Jesus, I want to live close to the cross because that's where the power is. I want to live close to the cross. I want to be like the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed. I understand that it's at the gospel, it's at the cross where there is power to change lives. And I'm not going to move from that place. You see, friends, I want to suggest to you that Derby needs a people that recognize that it's the cross that changes things. That's what Derby needs. A people that hold on to the cross. In the ever-changing cultural kind of tides of our generation, they say it's the cross. That's what changes lives. The message of the cross. It may be offensive to some. It may be seem foolish to others. But we're not going to move from the cross because it's the cross that changes lives. Thirdly, notice something really interesting in these verses. That God's actually made a paradoxical people. Have you spotted that? The paradoxical people of the church. What does Paul say? He says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
I mean, if you've got any issues with pride, this is not going to go well, is it, reading these? Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. What is the Apostle Paul doing? He's taking them back to their early days, the genesis of the church. If he was writing to Derby Church, he'd be saying, Friends, do you remember all those years ago when Jubilee Church was just being planted? Were many of you wise? Were many of you from the high you know, strata of society? No, you were ordinary people. And yet God's called you to do extraordinary things. That's the paradoxical nature of the church. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things and the people around us looking saying, how does that work? It works because of the power of the cross at work in us. Not because of who we are. John Stott, he was a seriously straight-laced Anglican theologian. And on this verse, he had this to say. The riffraff were being converted. I like that. The riffraff were being converted, saved, changed. God picked out the scum of the earth and made them kings and priests. Made them kings and priests. Friends, God's paradoxical people are a representation of God's paradoxical message. God loves to save and restore the unlikelies of this world. A couple of weeks ago, we had five baptisms at Life Church, And I I was sat, I wasn't involved in any of the kind of meetings, so I was just sat and I was watching. And I thought to myself, this is amazing. There was a nine-year-old girl right through to an Olympic basketball coach through to a guy who'd been to prison because he'd been a football hooligan and in his own words bigoted racist and all of them had encountered Christ all of them had encountered Christ and they'd all come to know him and I want us to say to you God loves to save the unlikelies God loves to save people that this have just fallen through the society's net. God loves to save those that are the last, the least, and the lost in our society and to use them and transform them into kings and priests in his kingdom so that people look at them and say, how does that work? Because then we have a platform to say, because of the cross of Christ, not any power within ourselves. And I want to suggest to you, if Derby's anything like Peterborough, There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who need to encounter this message. They look and they've been written off by this world. They're in dead-end jobs. Their hopes and their dreams have just crushed them. And they need to encounter the cross of Christ because it's there where these ordinary people suddenly get, God gets hold of them and uses them for his kingdom purposes. I think that's what Derby needs, don't you? What do you think? God loves to build this paradoxical people where people look and say, how does that work? One of the things that we say on our belonging course at Life Church is that we are praying for the day when somebody drives into the car park on a Sunday morning in a Lamborghini and another person walks in in bare feet because they, they can't afford shoes. That's the church of Jesus Christ. 
where there's this extremes of society and yet there's unity around the cross of Christ and people come in and they look and they say, how does that work? And we say, in the cross of Christ, we're united around Jesus. I want to suggest to you, and I hope this is not going to upset you, you should be odd. And what I mean by that is, people should look at Jubilee Church and say, how does that work? That should be the church of Jesus Christ. And the only answer that they should be able to give is, there seems to be this thing that they're all preoccupied with and it's this message of the cross and somehow that is what unifies this people. Friends, I think that is what this generation needs. A people that unify around this message and we're able to declare something to our city and our generation. Let me just finish briefly by saying this. After demonstrating the paradoxical nature of the message and the method and his community, Paul then goes on and shows us what does true wisdom look like. And very simply, he says this, true wisdom has become for us, Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. In short, Jesus is the dictionary definition of true wisdom. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying any form of wisdom that sits out of the life of Christ may be wise, but it's not true wisdom. Any form of worldview or activity that doesn't have its roots and its foundations in Christ may seem successful, may seem to be productive, but if it doesn't have its roots in Christ, it's not true wisdom. And ultimately, it's not going to last. Any form of wisdom that tries to circumnavigate the shocking message of the cross may have apparent success for a few years, but it's not going to have any eternal uh, success. Why? Because Paul is taking the readers back to things of eternal significance. Righteousness. Holiness and redemption, these are eternally significant things. And he's saying you may have short-term success, but true wisdom is rooted in something that's eternal and that's only found in Jesus. That's only found in Jesus. That's one of the reasons why I want to just suggest to you the guys that came up with the name Christ Central Churches were geniuses. Don't you agree? Because it's kind of saying... We're going to live in this world and we're going to move aside everything else that could preoccupy us and we're going to live as people that are centered around Jesus. And he's the one thing that matters. And I want to suggest to you that is really, really, really difficult to do as Christians because there's a hundred and one things that can preoccupy us and Paul is saying, friends, never move from the place where the cross of Christ is central in your life. Never move from that place. Because as soon as you've done that, you're sliding off into irrelevance. Because it's only as we hold the cross central that the paradox is visible to the world. And they look and they say, this is strange. But there's something about it that I want to know more. 
that there's power in weakness, that there's life in a place of death, that there's freedom in a place of captivity. That paradox is what we need to be communicating. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Normally I would lead into a time of clear application, but as I was preparing this morning, I felt God really clearly say to me, just give them the opportunity to stand. And what I think the Lord is wanting to do, and in a way Graham started this earlier with that image of reorientating your life around true north, is this. I feel the Lord wants to say to you, over this coming season, orientate your life around the cross. Orientate your life around the cross. Let everything else in your life have a secondary place to living for that. And as a church community, orientate yourself around living a paradoxical community. What does that mean? It means living in a community where you're going to be with people that are just odd and strange. And there is absolutely no reason at all why you should be spending any time with them at all other than the unifying factor of the cross. At Life Church, one of the things we say on our belonging course is this. We want Life Church to be a place where you're 80% happy and 20% deeply unhappy. And the reason for that is we want this to be a place where there's people so unlike you that you don't even start to understand them, yet you unite around the cross. I think the Lord is wanting to do something in your hearts today. Live for the cross. Simple lives where you just say, Jesus, I don't even really know what that means, but I want to do that. And then to look around at one another and say, Lord, make us a community of the cross. Where the paradox is so very evident that people in Derby look at Jubilee Church and they say, we really do not know what holds these people together. But there's something intriguing, there's something about this that I want to be part of. If you feel that you want to live that kind of life, I just want to invite you to stand. It would be very easy at this point to focus on prayer ministry. But I think this is a moment of actually saying, Lord, between you and I, I want to make a heart decision to live for the cross and to live for a paradoxical people and let you do the rest. And so, Lord, we come to you now in a world with a thousand and one voices, in a culture of a hundred and more ways of wisdom. We say, Lord, forgive us when we've been distracted, when, Lord, our worlds have got all jumbled up. We want to live as people of the cross. We want to live as people that recognize that in the apparent foolishness 
there is great power. Lord, in the place of apparent shame, there is glorious victory. Help us, Lord, to live that paradoxical message in our workplaces, amongst our friends, in our families, in our places of entertainment and sports. Lord, wherever you place us, let us be people that never shift off the cross. And Lord, for Jubilee Church, I want to pray that, Lord, you would take hold of this church and you would keep stretching the church so that, Lord, that paradoxical Uh, people is so evident to Derby that people sit up and look and say, what is going on there? And Lord, the only conclusion they can reach is that there is some power outside of the normal uh, ways of things that is holding these people together. Lord, we pray for that. Lord, we pray that Lord, in a broken and fractured society let there be unity around the cross here at Jubilee Church Lord we give ourselves to this Lord we say help us to live that way help us to live that way Lord in Jesus name Amen to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.